Well, welcome everyone to Westview Q&A, where we seek to respond to your questions. We hope these discussions encourage you and help you grow in your faith. I'm your host, Ryan Simunik, and I'm, of course, joined by Pastor Charlie Salamone. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Charlie? Good. Right on. This past Sunday, you talked about the desire for fame and how it's a misdirected desire for the glory we were made for. Could you unpack that a little bit more for us? What does it mean that we're made for glory? What does what is pursuing that glory look like? Well, made for glory, I get that mostly from the whole, uh, you know, we were created to bear the image of God. And so that's a high calling. That's glory. We were made to reflect glory. So um, for this reason, I see a world of people who are trying to kind of fill a void or scratch an itch. Um, We acknowledge or we feel, maybe we don't acknowledge it, but we, we feel that something is missing. Uh, we might have, you know, the money or the super awesome career or everything else that the world values. We might have all that, but there's still a sense that something is lacking. So, um, so I see the world in, in a place of striving for something, you know? And, uh, what was the second part of the question? Uh, the second part is, what does it look like to pursue that glory? That glory? What the does one it look that we're like? made for. What does it look like to pursue that in our lives rather than the sort of misdirected looking for fame and our own glory? And I think the difference is, you know, we're made to bear God's image. The word that's often used is, is we're made to reflect it. Um, so we ourselves... Uh, are not the light. And that, interestingly, we just, you know, preached on John 1 and one of the verses that I didn't really talk specifically about, but this is also in John 1 is, you know, it says like, John was not the light. He himself was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. Like that's, that's the glory that will actually, we will actually experience is not being the light, but there is a glory in drawing attention to the light and pointing to the light and kind of sharing in the light. Like in Christianity, you hear a lot about um, the name of Jesus. Like in his name we pray. And like we glorify your name. You know, we praise your name. Or it's like it's not not my own name, but it's his name. But the the kind of the the I guess the mystery of it or the the paradox of it is by praising the name of Jesus, by saying, you know, all the glory goes to him and, and by pointing at that glory and having a life that, that makes people look at that glory, there is a, um, a paradox at play in, lit, in which, like, we share in it. Like, the glory that he has, we experience not apart from him, but in him. And I guess that's uh, um, that's harder to explain. Something that I didn't talk about on Sunday that I thought about 
but I didn't talk about it. Uh, I did talk about Elijah. Elijah comes up in the text of John 1. And if there's like a moment of glory for Elijah, it is, of course, uh, Mount Carmel. Um, And when you read that passage, you know, there's this like this buildup and there's this, uh, you know, the, the pressure's on and here is the moment. And it's finally like all eyes are on Elijah. And what he says, he just gives a very short prayer. Uh, Let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant. And fire comes down from heaven, you know, in the sight of all. Like God is glorified. Like, I mean, God is the one who's bringing down fire from heaven. Like no one is looking at Elijah and saying, how'd you do that? You know, they know that God was the one who did it. So they're all like standing in the awe and the glory of God. But there is Elijah and he is seen, he's a servant of that God. And that's like our, the glory that we have is, is we know him. He knows us. Like we've been sent by him. Uh, We bear his image. So that's, that's how I'm going to answer that question today. Yeah, yeah. So we we desire to be beautiful and mm-hmm. to be loved, and God has has made us in His image. So in Him we we are beautiful and and we are loved by Him. So we so we were created for that, right? To to reflect His glory, to be an extension of sort of like the revelation of His glory, right? As His creatures, like we we reflect His glory. So when when we turn, if we turn from Him as humanity, we'll go off and we try and seek that out in some other way, shape, or form. Is 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 that kind of what what we're saying here? Is that if we're seeking that apart from God, it'll look like us trying to be beautiful and glorious and be loved for our own deeds rather than finding it all in him. Yeah. I mean, it's the question is whose name are you trying to exalt? Right. And that's like, uh, yeah, that's it. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful for how you've showed us that behind like this, um, s- sinful desire of trying to um, exalt ourselves, that there's really, um, maybe for lack of a better term, a twisted or corrupted good desire, right? And and I think that's really helpful because it shows us not just what not to do, because I think you could have easily in your sermon just said, hey, seeking out fame is bad, like don't do it, and yep. then and then moved on. But But it also gives us an instruction of what to do instead. Um, and I, th- I think that's really helpful for us. And I wanted to ask you, this idea of a, a twisted or corrupted good desire behind sin, it, do you feel that that's true of all sin? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, without giving a whole lot of thought, I think that all sin... Or most sin? is well, I would say all sin um, is trying to satisfy a God-given desire in... Uh, wrong way Hmm. in a way that uh, um, you know someone could bring up like there's an idea of like uh, like sinful desires like I think that's really just when there's that longing like I say I I think we have like a longing uh, a void due to sin 
um, and trying to satisfy it. It's like if I if I set my heart on like you know if I set my eyes on a woman that's not my wife, you know that's a that's a sinful desire. But you know you might ask the question like, well, what do you? What's going on? Why is that at play? You know, what's what's yeah. driving that under yeah. the surface? And so, I mean, that's the questions that I would ask. So how would you instruct someone in turning from sinful desires? Because it's one thing to look at sinful actions and say, I'm going to stop doing that thing. But sometimes there's sin in our lives where, where we maybe are not necessarily doing anything, but we know that there are sinful desires at play that are stealing our peace, or maybe they're they're tempting us towards certain actions, um, maybe causing us to fall into habitual sin. I, d- I don't know, but th- these sort of like sinful desires, how do we how do we deal with those? Yeah, I mean, uh, good question. So you can look at scriptures that speak of things like you know, flee from youthful lust, like like run from it, run from it, and that's that's good. There's a lot of cases where that is just a very simple answer um, when the bible talks about like uh, temptation and desire and lust it, usually the first thing on the list is like sexual but it applies to much more than that but sexual lust is often first because i think it's for one it's very common uh, many people have experienced it but it's also, I think, a way that we understand what that means. Like, there's, like, this intense, like, desire. Like, I want that. I want that. And, like, you can kind of apply that um, to, to many different types of, of desires. So, anyways, I'm getting off topic. Bring it back. What do you do? What do you do? You feel a intense desire, whether it be sexual or not, but you recognize that this thing you're desiring is not good. It's not what God has for you doesn't want God doesn't want you doing that uh what do you do well um first probably the the easy not easy but the the simple thing is like flee from it as in you know you find yourself thinking about something that maybe you shouldn't be thinking about think about something else you know you find yourself looking at something you shouldn't look look at avert your eyes somewhere else I mean that's kind of like the most simple like Flee, flee from, from yeah. What does it what does it say? Flee from youthful lust. Uh, someone can go ahead and find where you're gonna find that in the scripture, but it, it goes just like that. Flee, run, run. Uh, so, simple answer is just run. Try to you know distract yourself, do something else, think about something else. But uh, I think there are times when maybe like a a desire is just like plaguing you and it's like it's not as simple of, as you're just you know enjoying your day walking down the street and oh there's a desire that I should turn from okay good now I'm going to go back to what I'm doing um, sometimes I think that maybe there's something in your life where the desire is so like reoccurring and intense and coming back to you coming back to you coming back to you and in that case I think sometimes it's good to maybe kind of like interrogate our desires like start asking questions like and, and maybe talk to someone um but you, you're asking questions such as like why do you think you want this like what's going on here you know like uh, you're you're married you're thinking like a lot about your coworker why what's going on there what what's that relationship like what's your relationship at home like what's your relationship 
with God like? What is what what maybe is going on in your life apart from like you can't stop thinking about your coworker? Um, what's going on in your life that might be kind of driving this or what's not going on in your life? Like may, what maybe should be going on? It's like, um, you know, like kind of like interrogating like where that desire is coming from. Cause that desire, like if there's like a, a sinful desire in your life, that's really just not leaving you alone. It might be kind of like a, one of those things in your car, the lights that come on, indicator lights, like, you know, it's kind of like a check engine light. Like there might be something that isn't going well, you know? So, um, so yeah, I would say first try to just flee from it, flee from it, flee from it. If it's seems like it's more than just like a a passing temptation, you might want to try to interrogate that, uh, with maybe some help from a trusted Christian friend or a pastor or, or me, you can call me email me or whatever we can talk <laughs> yeah i think that's really helpful you know the the psalmist says uh just paraphrasing here but you know point out anything in me that offends you mm-hmm. right and then in psalm nineteen twelve, it says how can i know all the sins lurking in my heart cleanse me from these hidden faults so there's this sort of um omission that it's like we we don't know our own hearts as well as god does so we need to i i think that's helpful to say like there's this there's this idea of like interrogating our own sinful desires and um, you know, asking other people and obviously doing it prayerfully, right? To to figure out what's what's behind these these desires. Yep. I think another helpful thing too, Psalm one nineteen thirty seven says, "Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word." So there's 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 like this idea of going to the word for life and kind of I think what we're talking about here, where once we've identified what the desire is behind it we can figure out how is this sort of a twisted desire and 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 what is what is what is the good desire that i'm actually longing for here that i'll only find in in christ and then being able to sort of jump feet feet in head first or however you want to say it head first into that pursuit of that good thing you know instead yeah right on I, I want to ask you uh, about fame again because I think it's just I, I think it was really good that you talked about fame because I think it is a extremely um, it's it's ubiquitous in our culture really you mm-hmm. know it's, it's across the board um, what's been your experience with the desire for fame what what has that looked like um, in your life did you ever desire to be famous yourself <laughs> <laughs> who have you been talking to <laughs> uh, yeah actually. I, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy and psychology, but I almost didn't because I dropped out of school for a year, um, and I moved to Madison, uh, you know, writing songs and playing at bars and such, and, um, with just that, the hopes and dreams of, making it on the big time you know so yeah I did uh and uh interestingly Madison is where I did not become famous but I did become a Christian so that was unexpected uh but yeah (laughs) I don't know what else to say about that story I'm surprised it didn't come up on Sunday actually (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So how did you, how did you, uh, for lack of a better term, shed that, that desire? Per- perhaps it's still with you and pops up every now and again, but how, how have you walked through that in your life? Well, uh, there was, I stopped playing music for a while after becoming a Christian. As in, I didn't really play it that much. Uh, some years later, though, I started playing music again, and I started playing shows and such, and uh, I found some avenues. Uh, I didn't play quote-unquote Christian music, as in it wasn't praise and worship, you know. I I play at bars and coffee shops and such, but I, I, I'd, write, I'd write songs, and anyone who's paying attention to the words in the songs, you know, would figure out, like, who I'm pointing to and what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and there were times when I was, I would, uh, for a while I was doing like a, a ministry where I would do this on college campuses and I had partnered with like a, you know, a Christian organization and I, I would sing the songs that I would sing, but then I'd be like, all right, let me tell you just a little story of like why I wrote the song and what's going on. And then I could, point to God more clearly for those who aren't, you know, taking the time to really listen to my sometimes abstract lyrics. Uh, so what, to answer the question, like, what do you, what do I do? Like, there still is this, like, like I say, this desire for glory, desire for glory, but it's not something where it's like, okay, everyone look at me. Like it's the way this like desire now like operates is like I want to think and concentrate and strive so that any way possible I can help people see the glory of God like that's like the highest the highest like ambition that I can have like before I was a Christian I wouldn't even thought of that it would have been like if I get on stage the best thing I can do is to to make everyone's mouths like open like wow that was like so amazing you know that's like the best that I could do um that is and that's the, the highest that I could hope is to get everyone in the bar quiet and just listening and like whoa that guy's so good like okay all right that's the best I could do at that show now it's like what I am like aiming for is like so much higher than that. Hmm. Like I want yeah. everyone yeah. to be stunned with how awesome, not how awesome I am, but how awesome God is. Like whatever I'm saying is not making you think like, oh, he's such a good speaker. Like, sure, that's, I'll take that, you know, but if that's all that I am achieving, then, then I'm failing. Okay. Like I want people to sit through a sermon and be like god is amazing god is real god Mm -hmm. is real and his truth is amazing like wow yeah like that's a higher glory yeah that's a higher that's a higher glory well there's temptation even within ministry work for that as well right to to sort of be building up a fantastic ministry and wanting people to think your ministry is so great and it's very easy to get into that space too and I think we need to constantly just be reminding ourselves of, of why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that you and I have a similar experiences that way, being musicians and also people in ministry, that it's, it, it, is a, it is a huge temptation to 
want to do your creative work in a way that just glorifies yourself or just gives you a, a attention, you know? And it's, uh, I know for me, I felt that the best way to shake that off is to focus on love for God and love for others and like using my gifting to like really wash the feet of other people and, and using it to serve people. Cause normally, normally the, the desire for, for fame or recognition uh, that is not good in me is based in fear. You know, it's this idea of like, I won't be beautiful. I won't be glorious. I won't be, you know, all of these things. Whereas it's like when you go with love being like, I'm already beloved and beautiful and, and, you know, and loved by God, it's like, now I can just go out and love people with, hmm. with what I have, you know, you're yeah. not coming from this place of lack. And it, it, it sounds similar to what you're saying, you know, um, not that this is a podcast about creatives. I think this is across the board, you know, anything you do. If you if you find your affirmation in God, you can seek out to um, to tell other people about Him, and so that they would also experience that in Christ. Yeah, the fullness that Christ gives, fullness of life. Yep. Praise God. Anything else we want to mention about this idea of pursuit of fame? Anything that you're thinking mm. about? No. What else you got in your bag? Yeah, of... we got some good questions. We'll we'll dig in. I'm glad that we talked about that, though. I think it's important. Yeah, me too. Um. So first question here of the question sent in, what's the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Okay, yeah, so this is this comes from various passages of Scripture that talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Um, answered, uh, you know, on the surface, the gifts of the Spirit are the things that we do, kind of the the services that we render, so to speak, to the church. Um, these are these are actions, you know, um, teaching, evangelism, you know, uh, or what people would refer to as like the supernatural gifts of charismata, right? Yeah, the speaking in tongues or uh, prophesying yeah. or healing. Um, I would argue that they're all supernatural if we really understand what's going on. But um, those are the the gifts, the the services that we we do. Um, in contrast, the fruit of the spirit are things deeper than that. The fruit of the spirit is more speaking of like the character, uh, love, joy, um, affections, um, you know. Love, joy, patience, you know, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I skipped one, but um, so, you know, and the first of them being love. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's interesting how this is connected to our previous conversation about fame. The gifts of the Spirit are often the things that we want. Because that is what's going to, like, often, like, give us the praise of men, you know? Like, that was that was such an awesome sermon, or you really are a great evangelist, or, wow, you can give, you can prophesy, and it seems to be from God. Like, the, the gifts of the Spirit are the things that we're more likely, I think, to long for, um, but you clearly get the concept and you get the idea that the fruit of the spirit is really what God longs for first. It's a, it's more important. Um, 
it's more important to have a life that is overflowing with love and joy and peace than it is to be a really good prophet or teacher, pastor, or whatever else. Uh, so that's, there's more I could say about that, but that's that's the difference. Yeah, what would you say to someone who is, um, in hearing this conversation, is looking at their own life and going, "Man, I don't, I don't think I'm seeing enough fruit," or "I don't know what my spiritual gifts are," and how do how do how do they navigate both those sorts of questions? Um. Well, the fruit. I think that it's. There's something good about like feeling like, oh, I want to have more fruit. I mean, you probably don't want to be the person who's just like, I'm just like rocking it when it comes <laughs> yeah. to like yeah. spiritual f- fruit of the spirit. I'm just awesome at it. Like you probably don't want to be that person. Um, you probably want to be someone who longs for more. But longing for more shouldn't be something where we're in a place of like despair. Like, oh, I want to have fruit and I don't have it. And now I'm just... I don't have joy because the fruit of the Spirit comes from that knowledge of God's grace, right? It comes from this understanding of God's free gift of love. And so if you want fruit and you don't really realize that you have what you wish you did, um, it's probably a time to just look to Jesus, look to the cross, and just be thankful for the undeserved salvation we have that people who could not produce love and joy and peace are given salvation. And from that, from that joy, I mean, that's where the fruit comes from. The fruit comes from the, uh, the sense of joy that we have salvation. So, um, so don't be driven to despair. It's, it's counterintuitive or, I mean, not counterintuitive, it's counterproductive. It's, it's, if you want fruit, (laughs) dwelling in despair is a great way to not have it you know um uh the second part of the question was yeah and then the second part would be more about the gifts if somebody doesn't know what their spiritual gifts are but they they desire them but they they're not really sure if they have any or or what they actually are you know (laughs) you can find online like spiritual gift assessments you can take a test i think that's kind of silly though to be honest um I think a, a better way to find what your spiritual gifts are is to get involved in the church. And, um, you know, you're maybe you're thinking, well, my spiritual gift is not uh, serving in the nursery or, or staying after church to help clean up tables or coming on the weekend, uh, you know, uh, clean up this or start with that. Okay. Start with that. Start with uh, just serving any way you can and offering yourself to God as uh, someone who's willing to help out in any way. Um, If you want to, we always need volunteers in the nursery. You know, we always need volunteers, um, greeters on Sundays. There's a million things that we always, you know, could use help with. Um, Because the the spiritual gifts are about giving your service to God. Um, and, uh, I would say just start at, start with like being a a servant with whatever is needed 
And I think like that's kind of like um, there's this idea that like weaves its way all through the Bible from the beginning to the end. Like God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like those who humble themselves, God lifts up. And so anyways, I'd say start with that and, and just see where God leads you. I mean, if God has given you the spiritual gift of uh, teaching, for example, you know, what does the Bible say? You don't like light a lamp and then like hide it away, you know, like you put it where people can see. He's going to put you in that place to use that gift. You know, like if he gave you a gift, no one's going to die. No one's going to go to their grave. And God's going to be like, I gave you this gift. You never, you never discovered it. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, that's, that doesn't make sense. Like if God's going to give you a gift, he's going to provide the circumstances to use it. But as far as what do you do? What do you do in the meantime? You don't know what your gifts are. What do you do? Serve any way you can. Don't, don't sit at home waiting. Like I'm waiting until an opportunity that really lines up with my desires. Stop that. Okay. Um, you know, if someone is, if someone is, is, is willing to do like the gifts that they want to, but they're not willing to, you know, who has the spiritual gift of cleaning toilets? Okay. Who has the spiritual gift of cleaning toilets? Because someone has to, you know, um, the truth is some people do have the spiritual gift of serving or just serving in, in the background, um, that gives them great joy, like empowered by the Holy Spirit with great joy. They can, they can do those tasks. People, people really do have those spiritual gifts. But in the meantime, like I would say everyone should start with just being willing to help out um, any way they can. So yeah, I don't know if anybody likes cleaning toilets. That might just require some of the fruits of the spirit of like yeah. love and, yep. you know. Yeah, no one looks forward to that, but... No. Uh, if you do email us, that'd be interesting to know. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I think that there is <laughs> it. The spiritual gifts are are often, you know, experienced in like mm-hmm. we can do tasks uh, with an empowerment and a joy that yeah. is otherworldly. Well, I'm glad that you said that because imagine the witness too, right? When you're at work and you have to clean the toilets at your work, and people see that you're doing it with joy. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like that speaks volumes to people. Yep, that's right. It's huge. Right on. Well, the next question that we have is also about the spiritual gifts. The question is, because you've received words of prophecy, does it make you a prophet? And if not, do you believe in modern day prophets? Okay, good, 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 good. This is scratching the surface of a rather long theological uh, conversation, uh, debate, if you want to call it that, within um, modern-day Christianity. Uh, the what is what is New Testament? What what is prophecy in the New Testament era? Uh, you know, what is prophecy today? There's no question that in the New Testament there are many references to people prophesying. Um, what is prophecy? Could we start there? Yeah, yeah. Um, number of ways to answer that. I think when when you say prophecy, people usually speak of like predicting the future, which I think is pretty limited. I think that prophecy certainly could include that. If God tells you something before it takes place and um, you share it, that that would definitely, I think, qualify as 
prophecy. But the biblical definition, I think, is a lot broader than that, especially when it comes to New Testament prophecy. Um, you know, the, the scriptures speak of, and this is in the New Testament, the sp- scriptures speak of the, the one who prophesies speaks to one's comfort and encouragement. All right, so prophecy might be a word that God gives you, something God reveals to you. Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a vision maybe it's uh, maybe it's just a, a, a phrase something that God gives you that you did not get in a book okay it's not like you were just reading a book and it's like I want to share this paragraph that I discovered today with you to comfort and encourage you that might be really helpful but that wouldn't be prophecy prophecy is something that is is it's actually being given to you like directly from God um, it could be, I guess, hearing an audible voice. I mean, I've, I never have, and I'm not sure if that's pretty uncommon. But um, you're getting some sort of word from God for the purpose of speaking to someone's comfort and encouragement. I think that's probably the best definition. Um, there's also in the, in the Book of Revelation actually uh, speaks of um, uh, our. What is it? Our testimony is, what does it say? This is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, wish I would have thought it. Uh, uh. Ryan, why don't you look that up while I'm talking? This is the spirit of prophecy. Will do. Um, so anyways, um, in the New Testament, uh, prophecy means a number of things, but I think um, that's kind of the summarized definition. Um, with that question is... Uh, are there prophets today? Um, that's a good question because you have to understand uh, what it meant to be a prophet in Old Testament times. Okay? Uh, in the Old Testament, if someone was a prophet, that person spoke for God and you don't question it. Okay? You, you, Elijah or Isaiah shows up and they have a word to speak. Thus saith the Lord, and your job is to listen, to heed the word, you know, to receive it. Everyone would, would agree, whether you believe in, uh, whether you're on one end of the debate or the other end of the debate, everyone would agree that, um, it doesn't work like that in the New Testament uh, times, okay, uh, for us. Uh, if someone claims to have a word from God, in no sense are we bound to say, well, this person's a prophet, okay? So, therefore, they have an authority that you have to listen to what they say, I mean, there are people that will walk around claiming to be prophets, and I would be really careful with anyone who claims to be a prophet. If if someone claims to have a word from God, I don't think you need to be suspicious. I mean, you should listen. It, it's good to uh, to kind of to not believe everything you say, and that's kind of what I'm getting to. There's a, a passage that I quote a lot, and uh, and this is also from the New Testament. Uh, it, it says, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. And I think that's a very healthy 
balance, if you want to call it that. Like that's talking about New Testament prophecy. So as in someone comes up to you and they say, hey, I have a word from God. God has laid something on my heart that I think I'm supposed to share with you. So someone is claiming to have a, a word of prophecy. Don't immediately despise it. Don't don't just kind of like roll your eyes and say, oh, I don't have time for this nonsense. You know, don't despise it. But it's good to test it. It's it's it in the and that's what makes the New Testament prophet, if you want to use those words, different than the Old Testament prophet. Because the Old Testament prophet, if they say I have a word from God, it's not your job to test it. It's your job to receive it. Okay. Um, but in you know New Testament times, if someone has a supposed word of God, it's it's good to test it. And by test it, what I mean is by the word of God. Um, does this supposed prophecy line up with Scripture? Does Scripture support it? Um, so, uh, yeah, I hope I answered all. What is that Revelation passage? Did you find it? Yes, I did. I also wanted to read the one that you're referencing before too um, about uh, testing. First uh, Thessalonians five nineteen to twenty is: Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Yeah. In uh, it's Revelation nineteen ten that you're referencing. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, "Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus." Yeah. The New Living uh, Translation says at that part, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Yeah, that that's really interesting, isn't it? Where if a supposed word of prophecy does not seem to be achieving that goal, um, there's a real reason to pause, okay? Um, yeah, if, if, if someone... I, I've talked to people before um, where s there's someone in their life that gives them a word of prophecy, and this word of prophecy really cuts them down. It's a word of prophecy that, that kind of like, uh, you know, I talked to someone not that long ago who someone had said to her, like, if you quit your job, like, you're not supposed to quit your job. God told me, you know, you're not supposed to quit your job. And if you do, like, something really bad is going to happen to you or something like that. And it's like, how does that supposed word bring comfort and encouragement? And how how does that bear witness to Christ? Yeah, like, like does that does that sound like Jesus? Right? Yeah, Even, like, uh, I was like, uh, that that's, you know, that to me, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound mm -hmm. that doesn't line up. Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah. Um, read the original question again. I want to make sure I cover every part of it. Yeah, absolutely. They're saying because you've received words of prophecy, does it make you a prophet? And if okay. not, do you believe in modern day prophets? Yeah. So part of this is like semantics where it's like, if you receive word of prophecy, does that make you a prophet in a sense? I mean, uh, but that doesn't mean you should take the title of prophet because if you take the title of prophet, that usually brings with it a kind of like Old Testament authority that is not yours. So, uh, yep. Um, so I would say for the most part, no, you know, if you, if you have a, a word of prophecy, it doesn't make you a prophet depending on how you define it. I, I don't think you should use that term because what that means to most people is not what it means, you know? 
But you could probably say you have the gift of prophecy. Could sure. you say that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 You could say that. Right on. Um, next question, and this is in reference to Evange's sermon, not this past Sunday, but the one before, um, where Evange talked about the encounter uh, that happened between Jesus and the woman at the well. Uh, this question is, does Psalm 42.2, Dear Panting for Water, apply only to a non-Christian since Jesus said a believer will never thirst again? So they mean Psalm 42.1 actually, which reads, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And in John 4, 13 to 14, uh, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, Charlie, does this thirst in Psalm 42 only apply to non-Christians, or do we continue to thirst for God even after receiving the living water? Yeah, I would say that it applies primarily to Christians. It it the the like lord i thirst for you that applies primarily to christians it in fact i mean look who wrote it right? yeah i mean is this, this a, is one of the old testament is, saints is this one's you know? a psalm of david i don't know um it's, it's not saying it here so but, but any, any one of the old testament saints right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like this. i mean if you're longing for god you're either a christian or you're about to become one yes <laughs> you know uh but what's the deal? I mean, if Jesus said, you're not going to thirst, then, then why are you longing for God? I think like the, the concept of, of you're not going to thirst is in means like you're not going to go thirsty. Like, you know, you're going to, you're going to be satisfied. It's not like, um, you know, if I say, if I speak about people, it's like, oh, you know, um, this this family they're they're hungry they you know they're they're poor and they go hungry um what that means is like they don't have enough food to eat they're regularly hungry and without food um what what jesus is saying here it's like we won't thirst as in like we have within us a well that we can drink from and so there is a there is still you're still going to experience like a longing for more of God, but it's something that is able to be quenched um, in a way that satisfies. Like, uh, um, hmm. so. I think as we walk through the Christian life, there's, of course, there are seasons of difficulty where we might feel more dry than others. But I think as well as we get closer to God and are, and, and are filled afresh as we keep walking through this Christian life, we, we thirst for him even more because we can always have more of him. And the more that we experience of him, I think the, the, the more deeply we love him and long for more of him. So, mm -hmm. there, so, so there's that as well, I think. There's this constant longing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So I want to move on to another question now. This will be our last question. Sometimes I feel as though I do not live my life in the way a typical Christian would. However, I still feel close to God in my heart. How do I deal with the guilt that I sometimes feel about this? How do I deal with the fact that sometimes I feel I do not deserve this living water? Wow. Um, you know, this is a question that without asking more questions to kind of see like what you mean by that. Yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to kind of 
give advice because it seems like um, what the person is asking for is, I mean, I don't know if you're hearing this, Ryan, but to me, it sounds like the person is kind of getting at like assurance of salvation. Hmm. Is that, um, read the second part of the, the question. Yeah, how do I deal with the fact that sometimes I feel I do not deserve his living water? Yeah, okay, when, when, and the first part they said, like, I don't live my life, or read that once more. Yeah, I, sometimes I feel as though I do not live my life in the way a typical Christian would. However, I still feel close to God in my heart. Okay, yeah, so... It, it's hard to know it's because... It's hard to know. Because this Christian, idea of a typical like, Christian... Yeah, yeah, I mean, is, I don't is, live is, my life like a typical uh, Christian, I think. Right, like, you know? is, is is this talking about, like, uh, having sin in one's life? Right. Uh, uh-huh. Which we all do, or is it talking about how just, you know, c- conventional ways that Christians normally that's, live? Is it culture? Like, it's it's hard to it. know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't live like a typical pastor i mean my hair is kind of long you know um things like that but it's like that's not an issue of sin it's just an issue of style and preference and whatever um but, but I, this idea of feeling guilty right yeah i, uh, I think i think, I think there yeah, might be there is some here. themes here of so that we're trying to like <laughs> exposit this question <laughs> yeah. and get to the depth and nuance of what do you mean by that? So yeah. without knowing what you're talking about, you know, whoever's ans- asking this question, without knowing what you're talking about, uh, I do want to answer the question. If there are things in your life and you feel like it's not typical of the Christian because it's not in line with God's word as in it's sin. Um. You know, uh, there's a question, and the question is like, are you? Uh, I'm gonna say it in a way that's using kind of like church words. Uh, are you, are you living in unrepentant sin? Is that what's going on? As in, like, you're aware of sin in your life, and you're okay with that. You're, you're. It's not typical of a Christian because it's not in line with God's word, and you're. You've decided you're okay with that, and you feel unworthy. I would say, yeah, it's it's good to feel unworthy if you're living in ways that are unrepentant because you're not walking with him. You know, um, you you can't. It, you know, I've said it this way before. If there is one area of your life that you refuse to surrender to God, there is no area of your life that's actually surrendered to God. Um, you're not actually following him. You're not, he's, he's, he's not actually your Lord if you're living in an unrepentant way. But, okay, because tender hearted people are, are starting to worry when I talk that way. That doesn't mean that we, we don't all sin. And, and some of us, like, you know, you fall into like habitual sins where you screw up and you do the same thing over and over and over again. And you say to God, like, help me. Like, I don't want to do that. Help me with that. Help me, Lord. Forgive me. That's not unrepentance. Yeah, like okay. the people who are hearing you speak and who are really worried are not the people you're talking about um, because they're worried. Not necessarily. I mean, you, you be prob- probably, but well, I just mean um, like worried, worried in terms of like there's there's a conviction that they that yeah they it, are trying to turn from um, sin, right? It's it's yes, but I just I I don't know if like worry always amounts to like fighting sin. 
Okay, so like, maybe if I'm even misunderstanding a bit of what you're saying, maybe if you wouldn't mind, unpack for us a little bit more what this idea of being unrepentant versus repentant yes, looks like, thank you. especially That's when good. dealing with habitual sin. Good, good, good. Um, like, I think um, the essence of unrepentance is linked with self-righteousness. Okay, unrepentance often says... This area of my life, I'm going to do, and I'm going to live this way, even though it's not in line with God's word, but it's okay because I'm a good person, okay? But it's okay because I do this and I do that, but it's okay because God knows my heart. Like, I'm going to ignore his word in this area, but it's okay because God knows my heart. That's often kind of like what unrepentance says, okay? In contrast, someone who's struggling with habitual sin, they know it's wrong and they want to be free from it, okay? Um, it does grieve them, okay? I wish I could stop this. I don't know how to stop this. I don't even really know. I, I don't even totally know, like, where, at what point it's sinful and at what point it's, it's like, I'm trying to sort this out. Like, I, I don't know. Like, my heart is not at rest with this area in my life and I don't really know what to do, like, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. You can see there's a brokenness there, right? I mean, that's a real, real difference than the attitude that's really marked with pride that says, this is just the way that I'm going to live and and it's okay because, you know, this or that. Um, that's really the difference. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, thanks. That's, that's a really helpful distinction. Yeah. And so... In, in this question, then, how would somebody deal with feelings of, of guilt? I guess we do have two scenarios here, so maybe we can deal with both, right, in terms of are repentant or unrepentant sin, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Like, if either one of those people are feeling guilt, what is your exhortation to them? Okay, very good. Um, it's, it's actually going to be pretty similar, like... Um, with both of them, I would say, confess your sins to God and ask him for help, you know? And, and if it's habitual, it might be time to like also confess that to someone else. Yeah. That's um, something I was thinking too. It sounds like yeah. it's time to talk to someone. Yeah. It's time to talk to someone and, yeah. um, uh, and that and someone, be specific, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's someone you, you trust, someone who loves the Lord. So either way, the, the solution is kind of like be confessing it to God and asking for help. Um, asking him to change you. Um, the difference that I would give is like the one who is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Meaning if we're living this life of confessing our sins and not trying to like make excuses or hide for them, but we're actually giving them to God and um, that's walking in the light. So, I guess I want to say my advice, whether you're living in sin repentantly or unrepentantly, my advice is the same. Confess your sin to God. But um, my analysis is going to be different in the sense of like, if you're not doing that, if you're not confessing your sin to him, you have no reason to sleep at night believing that you're his and that you're destined for glory. Um, I would say that like, if you are feeling, if you're living in a way that's unrepentant, don't comfort yourself with it's okay because I'm saved. Like don't 
comfort yourself. Um, I don't think, biblically speaking, you have reason for comfort if you're living unrepentantly and you're not willing to confess your sin and ask God for help in changing. In contrast, for the one who maybe has found themselves caught in an habitual sin and they're confessing and they find that they're still doing it and they're they're confessing, I would say, little child, you know, keep fighting this sin, but know that you're his and know that, um, you know, his love will, will... Nothing can separate you from his love. And um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like, you're in Christ. You're walking with him. You're confessing your sin to him. Like, you are his. Like, he's got you. And keep fighting that sin, but while you're fighting, rest assured. Like, he's he's in you, and he's going to work on all things for good, and sin will not have victory in your life when it's all said and done. He's going to finish what he started. Yeah. I would also say, like, investigate your guilt, too, because, like, the the guilt that the enemy brings, the accuser, is one that causes despair and that says, you know, you're, you don't deserve it. Or, like, some of the best lies have a little bit of truth in them, right? Like, you're not worthy of this living water, of this walk. And so the guilt of the enemy will, will cause you to despair and just sit in that. Like, you just can't do it. You can't do it. But the guilt and conviction from the Spirit is one that says, you know, this is wrong. Turn, right? Repent. Turn. Come back to me. Right? Like, get up. Like, confess. Receive this cleansing, um, this cleansing blood, the blood of Christ. Receive the forgiveness that he gives. And then, you know, receive the power from the Spirit to, uh, to be changed, right? Like, allowing God to change us and asking him to change us. So, um, yeah, if you're feeling guilt, bring, bring that to the Lord. Um, and I, I would say like, look for where's, where's the guilt coming from? Cause sometimes it's, it's not from God. Yeah. Uh, especially for the more sensitive soul that's struggling through, through yeah. some things, you know, it, it really feels to me like someone in this position needs to talk with somebody because it's, it's it's like if you're you could potentially be believing lies that it would be helpful for another another Christian brother or sister to to speak into that, or maybe yeah. if you're deceiving yourself on the other side, right? Like you're talking about walking in repentance. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Any other thoughts on that? Not for today. Okay, yeah, right on. We'll, we'll, right on. We'll save them till next time. We'll wrap up. Thank you so much for whoever asked that question. I feel like this was a really good conversation. Yeah, like for the, sure. the, it was almost like the vagueness of the question helped us really open up a lot. So yeah. thank you. Um, that's all the time we have for now. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer or uh, respond to, or if you have a comment about something we talked about in the, on this episode, send us an email to ask at westviewmontreal.org. That is ask at westviewmontreal.org. Grace and peace to you, friends. Shalom.